0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: talk if it's around nine o'clock you actually have love babs love talk hey eric droves it's friday in the elm and i think i think this weekend is going to be really nice i think uh the weather is going to be in the 70s and we just going to be fly i got on my fall colors i'm ready to get out here in these streets so that's where we are i don't
2: you know i don't walk the streets myself, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> but I do it through you. But...
1: <laughs> uh, happy, happy heavenly birthday to my mom. My mom would have been 82 today, and uh, she is greatly missed, greatly, greatly missed, and uh, I miss my mom, but she would have been 82, and uh, today is the anniversary of Ife's mom's passing. So we are forever linked by this day. Uh, her mom passed a few years ago. Um, I don't even know if it's been five years. Um, so yeah, so that's that's today. But in spite of all of that, we got some good stuff happening, Harry. Uh, I'm a facilitating a conversation at the uh, at the library that t- today at two thirty. Um, uh, part of the New Haven Docs Film Festival. I'm gonna be um, facilitating the conversation between the, the director and the filmmaker for the film on Huey, Huey Newton. And, uh, and and the short film on uh, Dana King and Frederica um, Newton, who did this wonderful sculpture in Oakland of uh, Huey. So Dr. Huey Newton. Um, and then um, Ife is Uh, part of a conversation tonight around saying goodbye to Long Wharf Theater. Tonight we are saying goodbye to the Long Wharf Theater. People get to take their last walk through and see behind the scenes and have some reflection on what the theater has meant to them in this particular space. And then tomorrow is the block party in our new administrative offices over here on Audubon. So, so yeah, so it's a it's a weekend full of things.
2: <laughs> um, the
1: night market starts tonight too, Harry.
2: Are you trying to prove something? Like what am I trying to prove? <laughs> <laughs>
1: what, what what am I trying to prove? Tell me, Harry, before the before the haters come.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they don't need you to facilitate anything. <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to prove something?
1: <laughs> oh, they don't need you to facilitate a damn thing, Babs. Get somewhere and sit down. That's
2: right.
1: Let, let somebody else do it, but not us. Not us. We don't want to do it. We just don't want to see you do it. And that's how haters roll, Harry. They don't want you to do it, but they don't want to do it either. <laughs> so um right. I will say.
2: I, I, gotta have to, I have to actually go in and do some production stuff, but I will be back.
1: Okay, because I, I do want to say a few things about the two officers, the three officers that were shot and the two that were killed. Because, you know, it just, the state is in mourning this morning. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's a, a very heartbreaking thing. And I think it was a, uh, um, I think somebody set them up, Harry.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say crazy person, but it's always letting a person off the hook. But um, yeah, they were they were ambushed. So,
1: and I I don't know what that was about. Like I don't I don't know what that's about. But you know they're gonna the police gonna be on it, Harry. They're gonna get to the bottom of it. We'll probably have some real answers by Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So uh, state police, state uh, 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 police officers. Um, Earl gale thirty one and Rashawn McCullough, twenty
2: eight um, yeah. uh, all, all very young men I mean it's, it's...
1: yeah they and they had families one had a wife that was had a, had a young baby and was expecting another.
2: yeah yeah, it's really sad
1: yeah that's that's a tough. Now she's got to deliver this baby by herself and then do the hard work of telling this child at some point this story I mean both are children because they're both young so I don't I don't know I don't know how you I don't know how you deal with this
2: horrible horrible I'll be back
1: okay I'll I'll be right here Harry if you're looking for me (laughs) okay if you need anything I'm ready (laughs) I'm not going anywhere I'm right here uh, I tell you this little crazy story that I heard. Uh, uh, Lashunda Heath Ellison was found with a gunshot wound in her head. Uh, this this woman in uh, I think this pastor's wife, I think in a, in the Atlanta area. I think. Let me make sure. Um, so apparently, she was shot on Monday or Sunday night. And he was asleep and didn't know anything about it in Georgia, in the De- DeKalb County, DeKalb County. And when he woke up, he found her shot. He didn't hear, a, she didn't hear anything, gunfire or anything. He woke up because he heard her breathing loudly. and she, He thought she was snoring. So I don't know, but his reaction was a little strange. You know, this whole death do us part stuff. I don't know. I don't know. They were married for twenty years. I don't know. I, you know, I always think about. Um, I always think about. Uh, you know, the the when you have these kinds of crimes, the 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 spouse is always the first one to be suspected, and ninety percent of the time they're the ones that did this thing. So I don't know. I I'm a I'm a wait, but it just sounds difficult to swallow and it doesn't mean that difficult things can't be believed i'm not suggesting that i'm not suggesting that difficult things can't be believed i'm suggesting that too often difficult things are not to be believed so we'll get to the heart of it and i don't want to cast any aspersions but i just feel like how come he's not shot but nobody broke into the house i think the builder came from outside the house Somebody shot into the room. How do they know to shoot on that side and not the other side? And how come he went to... Listen, I I don't know anybody who sleeps that hard that they sleep through stuff. Although I did sleep through the thunder the other night. You know, so I don't know. I'll just, I'll reserve my judgment until I get all the facts. But man, this just sounds
3: heinous you know
1: so anyway like this box of cherries like a bowl of cherries just sometimes (laughs) i don't know where i'm going with that i don't know where i'm going with that i just know I, i see these kind of crimes and i'm just like what I'm no detective. I just play one on the radio. And I read enough Agatha Christie books in my my childhood. And I mean I read all of them because I love I loved Agatha Christie. I loved Agatha Christie and I love um I loved all crime solving. I love crime solving. Always have. Always have. And so um so. When I see these kinds of things, I'm like, All right, "Let me think about this." <laughs> you know, did anybody else in the neighborhood hear a gunshot? You know, and and they have a child. The child didn't hear the gunshot. Like no one heard anything. So I don't know. We'll get we'll get to the we'll get to the root of it. We'll get to the root of it. So um, Jamie Fox didn't get get invited to Cardi B's party I don't see I don't know how these celebrities do this thing they have a party if you're not invited or if you were invited, you know RSVP uh, can you really go to somebody's party without being invited even if you are a celebrity well apparently Jamie Foxx went to Cardi B's party and couldn't get in him and 10 other people how do you bring 10 other people to somebody's party I don't give a damn if you are Jamie like how do you bring you and 10 other people and they don't know you coming? So they didn't have a set up for you or nothing. Like, I guess it's celebrity parties. If you say you're coming, they, they you know, they set you up in the corner somewhere with your own little whatever. So that you in the party, but you're not part of the party. I guess. I don't know. When I was running entertainment public relations back in the day, it never went down like that. You'd invite people. They would RSVP. If they didn't RSVP and they showed up, you still let them in, even if they had an entourage, because that would makes it fly. I don't know. So anyway, he left. He was a little huffy. I mean, I think you know, not for nothing, Jamie Fox. I think you're old enough to be her father. Why do you want to go to Why do you want to go to a Cardi B party? Not to say I wouldn't want to go to a Cardi B party because I think it would be fly. But still i don't know i'm old i don't i don't want to go to a cardi b party <laughs> i think it'll just go on too long <laughs> it'd be too much drinking too much debauchery i i just wouldn't do it unless i just run in there and say hey girl hey and then, I'm, then i'd like you know do the helicopter with my finger and i'm up i don't know i just thought it was interesting and so the security people tried to like squash it and. You know, like, oh, you know, we're sorry, Um, can't let you in. You know, we don't have anything set up for you, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was a security issue, I think. I don't think it was she don't like Jamie Foxx. I think it really was the security people have to figure out when these people come, where to put them and where can they be in the optimum safety. I'm on the side of the security. So we'll see. I don't know. I hope he doesn't, I hope he's not petty and gets all, you know, to bashing and all this other kind of stuff. I'm hoping that he, um,
3: you know, uh, uh, I hope that uh,
1: he wasn't bashing, you know, that he won't bash. It's terrible, but you know, it'll work, it'll be fine. It'll be all right.
2: <laughs>
1: anyway, I'm just gonna wait and see what they do here and hear hear the hear the stories when they come out. Um, I'm a I'm a breeze through this real quick. Uh, the 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 January sixth committee has subpoenaed Donald Trump. That's it. Well, they they voted yesterday uh, to uh, subpoena. Nine to zero to subpoena testimony and documents from the former president, um, and and Donald Trump says if he appears before January sixth committee, he wants to broadcast it live. Well, because you know he's a circus barker, and they you know they need an audience. So um, no, we're not doing this live. So you could just say ridiculous stuff, and and talk to your. Your minions, uh, uh-uh. uh, you're gonna do it like everybody else. You're gonna go behind closed doors, <coughs> and they, um, and they, um, they gonna ask you the questions they need to ask you. That's it. That's what we doing. So I'm, I, I'm not saying anything else about that. I'm gonna let it go. <laughs> um, I'm gonna let it go. Uh, happy birthday, Pete Rogers. Pete Rogers is 75 today. Happy birthday. He's married to my, um, my Sora Paulette Moore Rogers. And, uh, and his son is a judge. <laughs> so shout out, shout out to the whole family. Um, but it's nice to see him because he's a bike rider. I used to see him quite regularly. I haven't seen him in a minute, uh, but, but I saw her and I did say, say hello to your husband he's such a lovely man and uh and they have such a lovely love story so it's really nice to uh see him so happy birthday i'm telling you october 14th is full of uh surprises um you know uh so there we go it's been a day already um let's see so i'm gonna go uh, to the library today at 2 30 to facilitate the conversation around um, the film uh, let me let me let me remind people uh, what it is because oh American justice on trial uh, the people versus Newton so it is one of the trials of the century and with great relevance today Black Panther leader Huey P Newton faced the death penalty for allegedly killing a white policeman in a pre-dawn car stop in 1968, Oakland. And while Newton and his Maverick attorneys boldly uh, indicted racism in the courts in the country, uh, and a groundbreaking jury led by a historic black foreman deliberated Newton's fate, and the streets of Oakland and the nation were set to explode if the jury came back with murder. Well, they didn't. So um, I'm going to be talking with Andrew. Uh, uh, Abraham um, and uh, Herb uh, Ferretti's, uh, the editor. And um, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with him today at the uh, New Haven Free Public Library, downtown, 2.30. So if you're around and uh, you wanna get you some Black Panther, particularly on the heels of the passing of George Edwards, um, and that New Haven has a significant Black Panther history, I think this is appropriate to have this conversation. So I'm looking forward to seeing the film and then talking about it. That's what I'm doing today. <laughs> that's that's my life. Um, 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 uh, I'm talking about this film. So if you're around and, uh, and you want to catch it, Um, today would be the day. Today would be the day. And I mean, you can always go see these films on your own, but you know, it's nice to go when there's a film festival. It's nice to go and see a bunch of films. At 10 o'clock, I'm I'm excited to have the conversation with uh, Goldie E. Patrick. Uh, She's the director of, um, from the Mississippi Delta. So I'm looking forward to talking to her and her process and thinking about this particular piece of work and uh, its relevance and significance to this moment. So high five. Um, Plus, you know what? Talking to sisters is one of my favorite things. So I get to talk to her today and uh, I got 50 million things to do. (laughs) 50 million things to do. I'm having lunch with my good friend, Ron at noon. We're going to South Bay. You know why we're going to South Bay? Because I have been craving this flank steak that they do over a salad. I've been craving this thing. So I'm excited to go today and have lunch with him. And plus I haven't seen him in a minute. So, so that brings me downtown, which is really nice. So I'll be downtown and uh, I won't be far from the library and I'll have enough time to have a good lunch with him and then uh, get myself over to the library for a discussion. And then I'll still be downtown. Um, and then uh, perhaps I'll make my way over to, um, to the Long Wharf later this evening. So I'll figure out all the things that I got to do, which is fine. There's there's a lot, lot of things that I need to be doing. Uh, and there's a soap shop downtown um, that I want to catch. So I'm going to I'm gonna make my way over there. And a sister, a sister owns a, a you know, little spa shop they make all the bath oils and the bath bubble thingies and shower steamers and you know all that kind of stuff and so uh i'm gonna go check her out sometimes during the day because i'll have some time in between you know uh make, getting ready to go to uh uh in between uh the library and the long wharf theater so i'm uh, i'm looking forward to that and uh Shout out to my friend, Dr. Deco Muhammad, who is uh, hanging out in in Brooklyn right now, but she's going to make her way to Connecticut shortly uh, because she's a Yale world fellow, former world fellow, finishing up world fellows or whatever it is. She's connected to that. She was that. Um, and so uh, she's, she'll be in town for a little bit and uh, hopefully we'll get to see her. I know I'll get to see her, even if I have to drive by where she's staying and you know see her for a few minutes so uh i'm looking forward to her i think she i think she come i think she's taking the training sometime today so i i know i'll get word somebody will get word to me uh, where she is or when she arrives she'll call me i know she will and uh so yeah that's uh that's the that's the life today um saturday uh let's see what is going on on saturday there's all kinds of stuff going on on saturday oh i've got i'll I'll be in class from 9 to 12 so i've got that work to do and then the block party and then um jazz returns to three sheets tomorrow oh no maybe tonight might be tonight i pick it might be worth um it might it might be worth me hanging downtown a little later than usual and uh and uh make my way to uh three sheets for a little live music and uh something good to eat I love going to cafe 9 but they don't have a restaurant and um, three sheets does <laughs> so so at the very least I could get some I could get some fries with vegan cheese like they have that so so I'm excited that's what I'm gonna do that's where I'm gonna be. I think that's what I'm gonna do. So we'll see. Uh, uh, oh, something is going on too. Art space. Let's see. Art space. Fair. Oh, the the uh, the Fairhaven gastro pub tour. Uh, y'all know Lee Cruz does these these gastro pub tours in Fairhaven, and uh, and if you're a foodie, and I am, uh, it might be worth your time. They're doing it October 22nd um, and uh, from one to four. And what he does is he'll walk you through Fairhaven where all the great places to eat and hang out at. And so they'll spend about anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes at each restaurant. And, uh, you know, there'll be a little tasting of things. There'll be chairs and tables, you know, so you can sit and rest. And the tour ends at the Armada Brewing. Where you can uh, hang out uh, for the kickoff party, so that's pretty cool. I might listen. I have got to cut my social activities, or I'm not getting in anybody's law school. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'm just. I'm just. I. I gotta.
3: Yeah. You know.
1: I've got to. Uh... I've got to uh, knock it off. So we'll see. And uh, we'll see. I got to do better about uh, 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 stopping all this uh, running and ripping. <laughs> somebody put up. Somebody put up. A, um, <laughs> I, don't, I guess it's the meme about somebody asked a question, what is running and ripping? Because, you know. Black people, we that's our favorite thing to say. One of the favorite things that we say. It's a very Black thing to say. You're not going to be running and ripping up in here. Or, a girl, I'm out there running and ripping. You know, that kind of, it's, that, it's just based on that. And uh, it has been so funny to uh, see all the different takes on people saying running and ripping and then adding some more of that kind of talk to the conversation <laughs> and uh, and I needed to chime in with, that's neither here nor there, <laughs> which, which tickles Harry to no end when I say, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, uh, oh my God, that is hilarious. So um, yeah, running and ripping. And that's neither here nor there. Uh, and there's a bunch of them. I got. I got to find it. It just takes me so long to find stuff uh, um, because I I don't save it. I I just pass on pass right over it. But I need to uh, I need to hold on to some of those things because they are just everything. They are just everything. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> running and ripping, running and ripping, running and ripping. So uh let me let me let me pull up the New Haven docs. Um if you go to New Haven Docs on their Facebook page, they have the listing of all the films based on the day, which is really nice. Um, <clears throat> and uh that way you can you can um, check out the trailer. You can um, check out where the film is. And uh, if you have to get a ticket, you can pre-buy a ticket. A lot of places you could show up and get a ticket. Um, So so last night was the first night. And uh, it was the opening night and it was Oklahoma Breakdown. And I think they were at Cafe Nine. And then the, the, they have the uh, performance afterwards. So it was a am lo- sure it was a long night, but I bet you it was rich, 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 rich. So uh, then there's a couple of other films. There's a couple of uh, Criterion um, films that are happening Saturday, 6.30. So The Oystering Life, um, that's, that's what you wanna see. And um, the beach leaf disease in Connecticut. So those are two very popular documentaries. They're going to be shown at the Criterion. So get yourself a ticket uh, if you want to see those. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, there's films everywhere. Oh, my God. Um, yes. So do I need this? Is uh, Antilos or Bus. Uh, Those are Thursday, 9.30, Cafe 9, which might be a good idea to go see a film and have a beer, have a drink. They they have beers. I like their beers. What I do when I go there, I get two fingers of tequila in a glass with ice on the side, and then I get a beer chaser, and they have good beers. You know, not not too fancy of a beer. Like, the selection isn't going to overwhelm you, but, you know, they got some beers that you like to drink. And push come to seven. You can always have a five dollar Narragansett. Not a bad beer. Clean, fresh. Not a not a not a bad, not a bad beer. Um, uh, and then I get to uh facilitate another conversation around uh let me see. I think it's called This Little Light. This Little Light, which is uh about uh a little school in Chicago that's fought the big bad neighbors uh, to stay a school, to stay their kind of school without being you know run over uh, by neighbors in a gentrified neighborhood. <laughs> so um, I try, I'm gonna make my list. I'm gonna try to see as many films as I can. all the while trying to stay with my damn studies oh my god i'm already behind i'm so behind you know that's all right because i i I can i can readily catch up and uh i think after today you know uh i'll get some reading in a little more reading and then Saturday morning I'll get some more reading in and we'll see how it goes. So a uh, little challenging, a little challenging, uh, but there's some poignant films that I want to see in this New Haven dot. And it was lovely to have um, Gorman Bashar on yesterday. Um, that was really, really good. Uh, Paul is going to have David, I mean, uh, Nicholas dowadoff on and uh they're going to talk about his book that he did on uh new hallville with centers new hallville in this story i believe and i'm gonna have him on on the 19th yes let it no that's not the yeah so so yeah so there's some good conversations coming up and i'm looking forward to uh i'm looking forward to uh Having them, and uh, I'm 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 posting up the uh, uh, the documentary that I'm um, I'm facilitating today. Um, So I hope people come out
3: and uh,
1: you know just take it in. Uh, New Haven has a rich committed. A rich, honest-to-God history of Black Panther activism and presence. So, um, but this is a story about Huey Newton and, uh, and he's such a sexy, good-looking man. It is, um, it is unlike any other group in the history of this country, the Panthers have been hunted um, un- mercilessly and still, still to this day, I think dossiers are held on them. Um, and they still are persecuted on a lot of levels. You know, I don't think they have taken their rightful place in history, even with even with the food program being the precursor to the government's program. Oh, he was on yesterday. But was it live yesterday or was it taped? Because I, I wanted to catch that. Well, I could if it's if it was taped. Was it aired though? If it wasn't aired or was it aired? It doesn't matter. If it's aired, I could just go find it. <laughs> I'm, talk- I'm talking to Harry. <laughs> okay, it was on Facebook. So I'll I'll go and uh, I'll go and look at it. I'll go and uh I'll go and watch it later today. You know? not, not, to, not to steal any pointers from, from the fabulous Paul Bass. You know, but I, I just like Nicholas um, Davidoff. He's got a good energy, so I just want to see how he is, or maybe I won't. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but uh, but I suggested to him that he should talk to Paul. Like when he was starting this, was like you really should sit and talk with Paul Bass <laughs> before I was even thinking he was going to sit and talk with me. You know. Uh. uh so yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to the book. I got so many books. His book probably won't get to till next summer, if that, or the summer after, we'll see. I'll try to squeeze it in. If If I keep trying to squeeze in books that people send me or books that people put out there that I know, I'm never gonna get to the books on my pile, never.
3: So, um, you know,
1: such is life. Say, love me. Such is life. Such is life. Such is life. Um, let's see, what else do I know? I'm trying to figure out what uh, else I, I want to get into so much good stuff going on. I know our state is in mourning, so I have not lost sight of that. You know, we've lost two police officers. Um, So uh, there was another shooting in, there was a shooting in Raleigh. Um, Last night, I think five officers, five people were killed. Five police officers were killed. I think it was a kid that, um, like a honest to God, 15 year old kid, let me, let me see. Yeah, five killed, including an off-duty officer um, as a gunman strikes a Raleigh neighborhood. Oh boy, this is just going to be, I, I, I don't know what we have to do in order to deal with this gun situation. And it is a gun, It is for me, it's a gun sickness. Uh, it's a gun sickness. And, and until we are uh, uh, ready to deal with it as a sickness a collective sickness then we're gonna keep we're gonna just keep everyday thoughts and prayers every day we might as well just I, why don't we just make a big old sign that just goes to state to state because at some point you're gonna have a shooting because we have a gun sickness in this country and he's and he's honest to god people think the government really wants to take away their second amendment rights or, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. Where, where are these people? So five people are dead two others are injured in the um, Headingham Hedding, neighborhood of Raleigh, North Carolina. The suspect described as a teenager male armed with a long rifle was detained. After being cornered at a nearby residence. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And uh, is he white? Because he doesn't, when they cornered him, they didn't seem to kill him. So <laughs> he must be white. <laughs> I'm not saying that they should have killed him. Don't get him twisted. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying. Uh, they, 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 they took him alive. I don't know what I don't know what he is. I'm going to pull up and see if they have a picture. I don't know. They can't put pictures of kids up, right? They frown on that sort of thing. Uh, but I feel like in cases like this, if you're bad enough to pick up a gun and kill people, you're bad enough to have your damn picture plastered across the papers. I don't know. I hope there's not one of these situations where his family let him buy guns and they had no idea. They had no idea. They had no idea he was hoarding guns. He never went in his room, nothing, never checked in the closet, none of that. Well, these poor people are dead now. And now these people have to, the long, long walk of, rebuilding their lives after this tragedy and and if he's a kid oh my god like what were the signs what were the what what was he mad about
3: you know uh, uh, it's just it's just uh,
1: it's just a sad situation that people have to live, that we are we are choosing to live under uh, these circumstances with a gun sickness that we have in this country. You know, it's, a, it's almost as if, you know, we are just waiting for the next one, for the next one, for the next one. Like we just spend our time waiting for the next killing, for the next, I mean, we just are. I, I don't even know what else to say about this, like, we're just waiting. <laughs> I'm like, okay. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. This is happening. You know, we just we just we're just waiting. And uh, you know, we might as well just have commercials and say a shooting coming to your neighborhood soon. Cuz isn't that what it feels like? It feels like that to me. You know, and, and for some of us, the shootings are a regular occurrence, you know, but now we're starting to sort of see, You know, are we starting to see? I, don't, I mean, I'm just I trying, trying to have a sense here of, it's unfortunate that we know what needs to be done and we're not doing it. And that we are willing to accept Massive loss of lives. Massive loss of lives. No more, more lot, more lost lives at our own hands than anybody else in the free world. We are willing to sort of stand on that and be like, "Yeah, people have died, but <laughs> yeah, people have walked in and did these mass shootings, but, but." You know, we it's that still doesn't warrant us to control, you know, access who has access. You know, but (laughs) yeah, that's sad. But oh, those those twenty babies at Sandy Hook. Yeah, but oh oh, those Parkland kids. Yeah yeah, but. Oh, Las Vegas? Yeah, yeah, but.
3: Oh, Raleigh? Oh, yeah, but.
1: You know, we we are willing to yeah, but in the face of mass shootings as if we are helpless to do anything about that. You know, if 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 you can lock up any histamines, in any, in every drugstore in this country, and limit, limit people's access to them, and can say, "You only get to buy two of these every other week, or whatever it, or whatever the lockdown is." You mean to tell me we can't do a better job of regulating who has access to firearms? That we don't want to put controls on firearms? You mean to tell me that we are powerless when I can't even walk into any drugstore in this country and buy as much antihistam- antihistamines as I want? <laughs> you mean to tell me that when I want to go buy particular hair care products, they are under lock and key? I can't just exercise my, my um, shoppers' rights and buy what I want. Oh, I mean, I gotta go get somebody to come and unlock it to give it to me. Oh, the anti- antihistamines, I gotta prove that I need, I gotta show identification. But I could go buy a gun, just about at any gun show, and nobody don't ask me nothing. And I'm a I'm a felon. So I can't. I had to turn over my, my um, my firearm license permits, and I had to give up my firearms. So you mean to tell me, <laughs> I, I, you know what, America? We have a sickness. I don't. I don't know what it's gonna take. I. I dare say, it'll take. I, We've already seen horrendous things. I mean, if you can't change your heart and mind after seeing babies, who right now should be graduating high school and off to college, if you can't wrap your brain around, if you can't find it in you to sort of make some movement on what we need to do in this country after you've seen babies killed, then I'm I'm still in Sandy Hook. Anything after Sandy Hook to me is just, just... just more killing, just, just more killing, like, okay. Because we've already accepted it. We've already accepted it. And once you do that, there's no going, I, I don't know what else to do. I I, just, I don't have any other thoughts about this. And please don't, don't second amend me. I don't, you can have second amendment rights and people can have access to firearms, but you better believe you you can have checks and balances. Listen, nobody in this country could drive a car without a without a driver's license. And if you are caught without driver's license, there is a fine and a penalty to that. That's just what it is. Yeah, yeah, we got gun laws. Yes, of course. Yes. Yes. Do they go far enough? No. No, no. We need to curtail the access. If it, uh, it should be. Um, You should have to go through all kinds of things to have a firearm in your house. Now, if you have one illegally, that's a whole other matter, but there should be some real, real, real hardcore uh, um, hurdles that you should have to jump to get a permit and have a firearm. I know people like that, but that don't step the flooding guns into the community. No, it doesn't. It's a start though. It's a start. It's a start. And uh, I, I I just don't believe that they don't know where these guns are coming from. I, I refuse to believe that. With all the technology and capabilities and understanding, listen, we know what's going on in foreign countries twenty four hours a day. There's people right now that I can tell you what's going on in Russia at this moment. They can tell you what's going on in the Kremlin and the, and the conversations that are being had at this moment. So I'm, I'm not convinced that we can't figure out where, where lots and lots of guns are coming from. Ask the, ask the gun manufacturers, who are you? Are the guns being stolen from the warehouses? Are people buying them in mass? Tell us, do you keep those kinds of records? We'd like to know. You just can't be putting, listen, if you are a baker and you want to sell baked goods on those, on those, on your, on your packaging, you got to say the ingredients, where you made them, when you made them, how fresh they are, when they expire. You got to put all that on there. So you mean to tell me gun manufacturers don't get to do that? No, they don't get to say we made this gun at this factory and this is where it was shipped to. And, and this, these gun owners shops, they have these models and makes and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm asking. Maybe they do do that, I don't know. I, I don't know, I'm asking. Cause it seems like to me, there's some communication breakdown. Cause when I wanna know how these guns getting into the community and into hands of people who shouldn't have guns, that means somebody is, is, is not being responsible. Somebody's not being responsible. Somebody's not being a good citizen or a good neighbor, and they're only looking out for their own profitability. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying. I'm not against firearms. I've told you I'm not. I I really am not. You know I'm not. Now now I'm against regular citizens having military grade firearms i'm against that i i don't think you should have you know military grade firearms at your disposal i just don't what the hell are you doing you can't use that nowhere and if you want to play soldier boy go and sign up (laughs) they'll teach you how to use guns all day (laughs) i don't i don't understand this fascination i don't it's a sickness it's a sickness. Listen, it's a sickness. So anyway, um, I'm excited to be talking to uh, uh, Miss Patrick in a minute. Uh, We're gonna take a break at some point, and uh, and uh, I'm gonna have her come on. I'm looking forward to uh, having this conversation because you know the arts, the arts community right now is um, because of the pandemic has really elevated uh, a lot of the conversation around bipoc uh, folks um, in, in, in the arts and and a couple of things the, the pandemic has shown us that we need the arts, that the arts was our saving grace. The second part of that is we, we, we began to understand how locked out people of color have been in the arts in the, in the arts world. And I'm talking about as leaders of arts organization, as producer of of art, art, of players and actors in art and playwrights of art. So um, so now I'm starting to sort of see uh, a real commitment toward opening up uh, the spaces and centering the spaces of uh, BIPOC people and uh, the BIPOC communities. Um, so is this a fad? Are we, are we moving in the right direction? Are we committed to centering uh, other voices in these art spaces? Um, what do we, I mean, what are we doing? I'm, I'm already starting to sort of see um, other industries starting to abandon um, the conversations around equity and inclusion. So will the theater be the same? Will the arts community be the same? Will we go back to what we've always known? And, and will we once again start shutting out um, uh, other voices? So I'm, I'm interested in those kinds of conversations as someone who leads, a chairs an arts organization and sits on board of an arts organization, arts producing organization. Um, uh, I, I believe that arts is the thing that will save us. I think more than anything else, it will be the, uh, our saving grace to center and have art in our lives. And it's, the, it's the, really the one thing that makes us human and civilizes us and connects us. Nothing connects us like art, you know, nothing. Nothing connects us like art. And, and um, we, are, we are in a moment where we either leap forward or we fall back. And I'm interested in hearing from folks who are out there on these front lines, creating art, directing art, supporting art, all the things, and see where they see the winds blowing. Like, where do they see it going? Um, Do they feel like there's a future um, for the centering of BIPOC voices? Um, Is it uh, a good time to be Black? and, and a person of color uh, in the arts community. I don't know, but I'm gonna find out. <laughs> and, 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 and you know, is this a good time to tell so many other stories? You know, so many other stories that are unique to us,
2: so. So, so what's um BIPOC again, all these acronyms and everything, <laughs> just throw me off. What is La-
1: that? Black, indigenous,
2: people of color. There you go. I got it.
1: of color.
2: Jeez. <sighs> okay. Uh, okay. Then I'm included in that statement. So. You
1: are in that statement, Harry. You are in
2: that statement. I just don't know what it is. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> come out for something that I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh You know, these days, it's like, who knows with the representation of anything. It's just, it's blurred right now. All the lines are blurred.
1: The lines are blurred, Harry. I think, I think this is a moment where decisions have to be made. I think, you know, like in the Wizard of Oz, you know, do we go left or do we go right? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? When they come to the crossroads. Do we go left or do we go right? you know where do, where are we where are we trying to go and and you know who wants to go along? you know I don't know uh, i I love these times because we because we're in these times, so we we were meant to be in these times
2: yeah I, I, time. I, I would
1: have had a tough time if i if I was in the 1800s, Harry, I don't think I would have enjoyed myself.
2: no, I don't think so but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> um, so my my tough decision yesterday Was when I, I left the house Oh, you're listening to Love Bad's Love Talk On WNHH LP 103.5 FM Your home for community radio So when I left the house I felt like I didn't have enough coffee in my cup Right? Uh-oh. So I felt like Karen at me <laughs> <laughs> So my big um, 32 ounce Cup had about 12 ounces. And I was like, oh no, I feel more like at least a 24 ounce or more, you know, coffee that it has to be a lot heftier. So I said, let me stop into Dunkin' Donuts real quick. Oh my God. You know, and I thought to myself, okay, I got Mustelo in this cup. I asked for black uh you know just dark roast black coffee in this cup and I was thinking do I drink this one or do I drink the you know just stagger them or do I mix them Babs it was so delicious I mixed them
1: <laughs> oh, is this your new thing now <laughs>
2: I well, I don't know. I, I can't, When I went to Dunkin' Donuts, there was such a long line through the drive-thru. I went in and I saw the bagel twist and everything. I, and I was sucking it all in. I was like, oh my God, I got to get out of this place right now. I can't eat this, this all this bread and everything. So I got my cup of coffee and I bounced quickly because it was triggering all the senses. You know, so, but mustelo espresso mustelo mm. with dark roast dunkin donuts mixed
3: black mixed
2: i think i found something
1: i don't know harry i i just can't mustelo was so good
2: on its own yeah it is it is and you know i made the mistake like sometimes in the morning when i feel shorted at the office i tell layla can you get me a cup of black coffee from the, cause the office next door. Because she no longer comes in and starts the coffee pot. I don't know what happened. So I, I, I don't know if it was her buying the Bustelo or something. <laughs> mm. I don't know. But anyway, so she, she brings me that coffee and I mixed it one day and it messed up my whole Bustelo. Oh. But Dunkin' Donuts mix.
1: That was... See. That's the, But here's the thing, Harry, you know, if you go do it tomorrow or Monday
2: it's different,
1: it's going to be different and you're going to be uh, you're going to be mad. So this is how drug addiction starts. I know. That first good high. And then you spend your life chasing that same exact
2: high. You, you know, they had an article, I think it was yesterday that it said Dunkin Donuts is 80 percent that they they get your order um, accurate 80 percent of the time. Now that's not my experience. <laughs> <laughs> my experience is more like forty <clears> percent. <throat> but I mean, I don't, I no longer go to Dunkin' Donuts. Thank, you know, whichever God you want, Thank whichever one, God. I,
1: I think you um, I think you do better when you make your coffee at home.
2: No, definitely. And I told I told Karen today she actually filled my cup today. I was like. She's like, I make four cups and we split the four cups. I'm like, no, no, no. Make six cups. You could stick with your two cups, but I want four cups in my mug. Mm. You know, I need that coffee sometimes. And if I don't drink it, then you know, so what? But when I need it, I need it. So I mean that 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 was my. My my tough decision in 2022. Do I mix my coffees? Oh my God. Um but but I gotta say this. When when I came when we got off the plane Saturday <laughs> and I went to the supermarket and had to buy a dozen and a half of eggs for nine dollars. I that was I a wake up call because I usually you know I buy stuff in bulk bags, and i don't I don't even know what I'm paying most of the times, but nine dollars for a dozen and a half, I felt sorry for everybody who has to do this mm-hmm. Who's that now? and the and gallon of milk was five dollars. What happened? I What's don't sport? drink milk, so i don't yeah that's, you're not <laughs> suffering that. <there>. Um, no. <laughs> oh, but you know in South Carolina, I bought. A half a gallon of milk from Walmart, um, lactate fr- lactose free, two percent milk, and it wasn't that bad. It was mm. it was actually good. So I got to find that they don't have. If you buy the lactose free over here at Stop and Shop, now your price goes up another top. So so I don't know. I don't <laughs> know how I'm gonna work that one out. <laughs>
1: Let's, let's take a break. <laughs> the,
2: the prices are, are, are outrageous.
1: I'm going to break because we got to guess at 10 15.
2: So I have a GoFundMe account for what? eggs and, and milk.
1: Oh, <laughs> hey, you know what? If you move the money over from the paper towels and the toilet paper, if you just move some of that money over to mm-hmm.
2: the... <laughs> let's not go crazy.
1: I'm just saying, not all of it, Harry. Like ten percent of it, <laughs> you'd be able to afford everything.
2: I'm wondering what's wrong. That- oh my god, my edits keep coming up. Anyway, all right, we'll be so, back. So yeah, I, I, I don't know if I could do that, Babs. That's that's you an can, OCD issue. You can- <laughs> <laughs> Harry, might,
1: you have the power to do anything.
2: I might need um, some psychological help after.
1: Well you can Please just it. just reach out, but try it, see how it feels.
2: Yeah, let's just let your supply dip under 10 cases. Just
1: let just <laughs> I think I think you I think you'll be all right. I think you can
2: I'll be all you know, right for a while.
1: You'll be all right for a while. I mean, you know,
2: come on. But but eggs, eggs is a necessity in my diet, right? So it's like three eggs in the morning um in the evening if if i'm hungry and i eat eggs you know after i've eaten my dinner and everything if i'm still around seven o'clock i get hungry i can boil two eggs i could get... okay it's expensive i might have to
1: find just find something else maybe you just eat maybe you find something else
2: to yeah eat. maybe maybe i'll go get some not
1: processed food, food but something else
2: what what else lays eggs
1: Whew, Harry, we going on break. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what else do they think? I might get me a goat. You can milk a goat, right?
1: Harry, I'm going on break. Do you hear me? <laughs> can,
2: can you milk a goat? Anyway, all right. Yeah,
1: you can. You can. I heard goat
2: milk is good. So
1: I don't think you're gonna wanna milk a goat, Harry. I first of all. You're not. Go- Where well, you gonna put a goat on your deck? No.
2: Do they live in the winter? Do they? You know, because they survive out there.
1: No, they can't.
2: Am I gonna have Peter out here? Saying, yes. Bring your you goat, goat inside.
1: You have to bring the goat inside, Harry. You can't leave the goat outside.
2: Yeah, I can't. <laughs> Even
1: have- on farms, they have barns.
2: <laughs> I can't have any animals. I'm not good. Bye, just- Harry. <laughs> to me, they're just animals, but. Right. You're listening to Love as Love Talk on WNHH LP 103.5. Uh,
4: Babs has a guest. Come back. We'll be back. Do you love me? don't belong. Sometimes <laughs> I wish I
0: was born.
4: Cry,
0: T there
4: i was a was Even in strange times, I'll find my strength. distant shores I've been waiting Wanting more for the whole night And it ain't right I've been saying what's on my mind Trying to explain What can't be defined And for so long It's been so strong Suddenly it's clear Now that I can hear These love notes, the ones that I wrote, oh these melodies, here are some memories, and these love notes, I found in an old coat, mean something new, oh Want to lean on. Can you hear me? Come near me. I've been dreaming my angel will come, but I never expected that you'd be the one. Now I found you. I wanna stay around you. Suddenly it's clear. Here are our memories Oh, these love notes I found in an old coat They mean something new All because of you
1: A, I know when the music goes a little long, that means, that means uh, Harry is, is trying to fix some technical difficulty. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back to Love Babs, Love Talk. I'm Babs Rose Ivy. I'm so delighted this morning. I get to talk to Goldie Patrick, who is the director of uh, this wonderful rich play from the Mississippi Delta that's at the Westport uh, Country Playhouse. And it is a, a, a dramatic biography uh, by Dr. Indisha Ida Mae Holland. Um, that was uh, nominated for uh, a Pulitzer. And uh, and so you're doing this wonderful thing. I was reading the, I was reading a little bit of what they were saying about you in the New York Times, and they quoted you saying, uh, who we are and who we become is so beautifully tied to where we are from. And that's from the Mississippi Delta. Um, and it's a powerful autobiographical uh, auto biographical journey of how Dr. Uh, uh, Andesha Ida May Holland blossomed into her purpose, identity and power as a Black woman from her experience in her hometown and the people around her. Welcome, Ms. Patrick.
5: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. I'm excited
1: to talk to you. So tell me about this play. When you got wind of this play, what did you think?
5: Ooh, so many things. There are all the things in the world to think. So let me first say, my name is Goldie Estelle Patrick. Goldie is after my grandma, who is named after her grandma. And Estelle is after my great grandma. All those women come from Alabama. Um, Though I am born and raised in Detroit. And so, (laughs) you know, and so when I first read it, it, there was a familiarity in terms of the way I have heard stories about the women before me um the way I have heard stories about what life was like for black women in the south um and then also all of the nuance of characters uh resonated with with um a feeling of family and home and like community but then I'll also admit my next thought was as a playwright as a director why was this the first time I was reading this um Mm. why wasn't this put in the study of the American canon of theater that I had been studying for 20 years. And so there was this, um, there was this, I, I was able at that moment to transform what felt like um, discontent into a commitment. And so I was like, this story deserves to be told in as many places and on as many stages as possible, not merely because it's such a significant Black story, not merely because it's such a significant Black Southern story, not only because it's such a significant Black woman story, but it's an American story that too often gets erased from American theater. So I was like, Let, it's on a pop and I want to tell this story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And it's not lost on me that you're doing it at the Westport. Um, Country Playhouse, because, you know, Westport is, is, is part of Fairfield County of Connecticut, and, you know, it's it's not a Black place. It's not a place where you would
5: think of a Southern story being told of Black women. And and that's part of the reason why, uh, at first, you know, I had a conversation uh, with Mark, the artistic director, and asked, why are y'all doing the show? Because I have to know that. Cause that, that, that informs my ability to say, yes, I can commit to what your vision is, or say, no, I, that doesn't align with what my vision for this story would be. And, um, his commitment to telling this story was very similar than, to my desire, which is that Dr. Indesha Ida Mae Holland should be celebrated. And this was about her. And because he knew her from working with her at the first premiere of the show, um, there, there's something that I find very, um, very significant about um honoring ancestral requests and because part of her request when she was living was having the show produced in these various environments and spaces it felt it felt like a great opportunity to commit that to say you don't get the privilege of ignoring all stories because you live in a certain community or you have a certain class or you have whatever privileges you think you have that doesn't get to um that doesn't get to permit you to ignore all the stories that exist that are beautifully written. So I was like, let us bring this story to Westport to the Westport community so that they can see that this is a woman who is a giant, a literary giant and have them ask the same questions of themselves. Like, wow, why didn't I know about her? She deserves to be celebrated.
1: I, I love the way that you frame that, that they don't get to not have these stories too. Like I, That's just, that's, I think for me, um, that's a critical piece of the BIPOC um, lens in which we get to be in these spaces. Do you know what I mean? Because I think we're always questioning when we're in these spaces, you know, um, should we be in these spaces? You know, why can't I just go do this in Harlem all the time? Or, but you just really, said a beautiful thing about, yes, they, they deserve to have these, these stories told to them too. And it doesn't matter that wherever they're from, they get to hear these stories too.
5: Yeah, it's so important. You know, my, uh, the, the foundation of my pedagogy and approach as a director and a playwright is as a cultural worker. I consider myself that as much as I consider myself any artistic form or professional. Um, I spent years working um, building a theater for Black women and girls for a Black woman audience. And so I feel very well versed in how to do that. And so coming into this um, production, I centered that focus. And it was an opportunity to then be in conversation. And in some spaces, facilitation at Westport about what does it mean to not only produce a Black show, but to ask Black artists to come into a space that has not been inviting in the past that has a history rooted in actually uh, separating and and, um, sending out its Black residents. Because we did a a walking tour of the African-American history of Westport so that we understood the land we were on. We understood the ancestors of this space before us. And so in that approach, one for the specificity of Westport, we said, we're doing this for all of the Black folk, all of the formerly enslaved, all of the self-emancipated, all of the people whose history in Westport is erased, we're doing that because they are here. They were here, they built this city. And so um, there's a beautiful reverence that the cast and the crew has felt about telling. and the Westport staff that went on the tour with us. You know, we're all on the same page around, there's a community of Westport that's called 21st Street and a Half. And it was the vibrant black community. And a lot of- I don't
1: know any of this story, None of this history.
5: Listen, it was an amazing. The Westport Historical uh, Museum is a phenom. Like they, they went in on, with us. And so when we learned about that community, much of which were people who were part of the Great Migration North, who came from the South looking for work and were able to find labor in Connecticut and Westport because they were able to work the port and, and in that community. And then they were, um, they were uh, sent out Their building was burned to the ground because of the politics of wanting to have to pay the taxes, et cetera, et cetera. And so those those people were displaced. And so there is this beating heart in us to bring those people who are much like our characters and our story, to bring their story to life here. And so we've been working with the historical. We've been working with um, the folks over there to tell these stories so that it's not just rooted in just Mississippi. It's not just rooted in the fantasy of these characters, but these are part of an American history and legacy that too has its footprint in Westport.
1: I love this. I love this. I love this. So that's a good foundation to sort of tell this story and transport people through time and space uh, about this particular Black woman and her, I would say, would you say coming of age, coming of age, coming into her own
5: it's a. It is. It's a coming of age. It's a coming in a voice. It's a coming in a power. Um, it's a coming into understanding. It's all of that.
1: All so, of that. so, so, so the Miss uh, from the Mississippi Delta. So, give me a sense of what. What will we?
5: What can we expect? What? What is the story? Ooh, I love that question because it's impossible to answer. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on how you experience theater. I personally experience theater from very sacred, communal, joyful place. So I think there's one part of, in terms of what they expect, expect to be a part of the storytelling. This is not, I don't do that sit back and watch thing. I do that lean in and testify thing. So there's there's the invitation to be present in the story. When you see and hear people that are familiar to you Go ahead and respond, and let them know. You know, like, oh, no, I know exactly what' about to happen. there's that's there's that part. But then there's also this um ama- this astounding specificity to her story. So I would say, have a very open ear to listen um, because she's a beautiful, she was a beautiful writer. And uh, what I love about this piece in particular, and I've talked to the cast of three black women, Um, that it's written for Black women to play. And that's uh, significant because it's not watered down. It's written in dialect. It's written and performed in tempo of a Southern drawl. And uh, it's very much... play that can be done sitting on the porch where you talk about you know uncle johnny who used to live across the street from mary well mary's not her real name she go by mary now but she used to be susan because she was but she big susan daughter so big susan daughter mary how she lived across the street from uncle johnny uncle johnny third son richard he came over like yeah that's the way the story is told oh i love it (laughs) yes so do i so i would say uh have that open ear so that you can catch the magic in between the storytelling and then ultimately um one of the big things that I'm hoping our audiences take from this is that there is a commitment to continue watering what needs to grow, whether it's in yourself, whether it's in another generation, whether it's in your purpose or your, your community activism. You know, Dr. Indesha was, was very adamant about making sure that her work lived on. And so I charge our audience to watch this one woman's story as an example of how you water what's important to you to make sure it, it goes on and grows.
1: I love it. Now I'm a, I'm a huge August Wilson fan. Huge, yeah, huge, huge. What's and, your favorite uh, play? Oh my God. I, I, I don't think I have a favorite, but I'm going to go, I want to go and see the piano lesson yet again um, yes. on Broadway with uh, 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 the young Mr. Washington and Samuel Jackson. And uh, yes. I've seen it a good z- Like I've seen these plays all just about all over the world in different places and, by different people and I and I and I love the work of this cap capturing the century. I think the only play I have not seen in the century is uh um uh Gem of the Ocean. That's the only one I have not and I've been chasing this for decades, right? Like, oh
5: yeah. Chasing
1: it like
0: that.
3: Yeah
1: I haven't seen it. So so when I think about um, great playwrights, um August Wilson has always comes to mind. But of course you know, Lorraine Hansberry and 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 um, uh, Pearl Cleege and 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 folks who I don't think voices are centered enough in theater except I mean we see Raisin in the Sun like when they think of black plays that's yep. always trotted out Raisin in the mm-hmm. Sun and, and no shade to Lorraine Hansberry I I loved it I
5: directed it when I was in college but yeah there are other voices out there there's so many other voices there are so many other voices, there, there are so many other voices. And as a playwright, um, I, you know, it's an interesting world where you get—I um, I have the—I have the honor of being privy to production conversations, and it goes back to like the four or five playwrights that white institutions are most familiar and comfortable with producing. Um, And it can be discouraging knowing that there are so many other voices. And I personally am a playwright who does not see myself necessarily in the lens of only those five playwrights. I love Niyazaki. I am a poet playwright, you know, but I also know that there are playwrights before me that I am, as much as I am of Ntozake, I am of Ed Bullens. And as much as I am of Ed Bullens, I am of the playwright that I have yet to learn about because that playwright wasn't mentioned in the conversation of American theater. And that what that's what becomes very important to me. How do we expand and include more playwrights that, especially the ones that sought to disrupt the American theater system because it wasn't serving their audiences. And so, um, I think one of the things I really appreciate about Dr. Ida Mae Holland is that she does not have your standard approach and and, um, trajectory into American theater. She is not of an Ivy background. She is not of, um, this has been my lifelong dream. She came into performing or the idea of loving performing from, you know, doing a little strip tease. (laughs) When she was 16. And that's when she was like, I love the stage, you know? But that is as significant. How many of us came into a love and appreciation for performing from being at church and watching people show out and understanding that there was something sacred in the freedom of being able to be in front of a group. And, be, and 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 tell a story or tell a gospel, or how many of us came into loving performing from doing dance routines in our parents' living room, you know, to the Jackson Five. All of those are as valuable as any formal training. And so expanding who gets involved and expanding who gets mentioned is part of my work as a playwright and as a director. And this seems to fall in line with that, so.
1: So, Golda, do you think it helps or it makes sense or it's productive to us When we are starting to sort of see um, BIPOC folks take over, um, start running um, arts performing institutions or arts producing institutions, does that help widen the gate to allow for these um, different kinds of playwright voices to be heard? I mean, does that that help?
5: Not necessarily. And I know this is gonna be controversial, but not necessarily. I think the, the challenge we're up against in um, American theater uh, specifically is that now that attention has been brought on the many ways that it has perpetuated a very uh, white supremacist mentality and a very exclusive, a very classist uh, mentality, the, the initial response was to resist that and say, look, we can do something different. And that's, that's, that's an okay thought. But it also um, invites performative action. And sometimes mm. the performative action is by putting a person that they deem has been on the outside putting them on on the inside. That does not mean that that person has power. That does not mean that person has influence. That means that that person has access, which does not mean that other people of a disenfranchised community then have access, right? So when we get caught up on um, the the appearance of something, whether it's a person's identity appearance or whether it's their position, the appearance of their position, we lose, I think we lose focus of what's important. It's a value system. I'd rather have a white accomplice who is about the same political beliefs that I'm about than to have a Black person in power that is not aligned with what I think is just and political. And I think sometimes we confuse someone's um, identity with their politics and they are different. There are plenty of Black people, that were not part of a black arts movement. There are plenty of black people that, (laughs) look Kanye West exists, right? So we can't just say that being of color is enough. We can't just say being a woman, 53% of women voted in the worst interest of the larger percent of women. So we gotta move past just identity appearance and start looking at people's values and politics and examining that and how that activates their position in any institution or community.
1: You know, I think that is next level thinking because, you know, the pandemic sort of, you know, illuminated for many people, the idea that there weren't enough such people of color in these spaces. It just, mm-hmm. it just wasn't. And it's not enough to have a, a black director directing white plays or just like, you know what I mean? Like, like, yes, I, I love the, don't get me wrong. I, I will go see a play for a lot of different reasons. It doesn't matter. But I, I think there's something to be to be said what you said about it the, the politics and it has to align and their beliefs have to align. It can't just be well they're black. Nope. Because you know what did Zora Neale Hurston say? You know all,
5: kinfo- all skin for folk ain't kin folk. Yes. You know, and, and what, you know what I love and and I'll give you a a concrete example. So the design team and technical team for uh, this play as a result of the pandemic what we have seen which is great is that lots of black designers lots of black stage managers lots of black actors and directors are being hired in droves by theaters now because there is a exposure on the need to include them which is wonderful so when it came time to build the team I was very conscious of this, right? And so all the asks went out to all the places. My my first ask for my designer is a white man who is brilliant, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, right? And when we had our initial meeting, his first question to me is, what made you ask me as a white man to work on this very Black show? And I was like, that, that. You know, he was like, "Okay, I just needed to check that we were on the same page." And he, is, <laughs> he, is, he has done amazing work. He and his assistant, um, who is a black woman, have done amazing work on understanding and being centered in what it is to tell this woman's story culturally, uh, politically, socially, and 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 so if I had gotten solely caught up on identity. I would have just tried to find a Black designer, opposed to finding a designer who aligned with what I politically thought was at the center. My stage manager is a white woman from Mississippi who fully understands and works with the utmost cultural awareness and sensitivity with my cast and the rest of the design team. And so there's this beautiful um, allyship and, and community that's being built that while we are a 85% cast and crew that we are hundred percent aligned in our values. And that's what's important.
1: I love this. So tell me about this cast. Tell me about these women you get to work with
5: and direct. <laughs> me smiling. I <laughs> love them. And perhaps more than I love them. I love the way they love each other. Um, when we started this process, I reached out to Ann James, who's an extraordinary director and intimacy coach, um, who came in and we don't have scenes that are traditional in the intimacy field, uh, or what would be considered intimacy in theater, but I needed someone to support my actresses working on this very, uh, black woman show that does have moments of trauma, knowing that they would be performing it in a white space. And potentially for always an white audience. So what would it mean for them to be able to do the work, leave their souls and spirits on the stage and take all the parts of them that they needed to when they left? And what the bonding that they did at the beginning, it shows up on stage today. They are extraordinary. They're young actresses that are full of life and and truth. They hold each other up in all the ways, both artistically and then also just that sisterhood thing you have. They have come from everywhere from Ohio and Memphis and California and Detroit, and they didn't know each other before this. But what they have done in this process is sharpen each other as artists, hold each other as women, and really, really um, testify to something older than them. They're young. They're younger but they embody the spirit of these old women as if they knew. Um, I'm, I'm floored by them. I think they do uh, tremendous work and it's an honor to work with Claudia, Tamisha and Aaron, that's the crew. Uh, we got all kinds of nicknames for each other, but that's the crew of the women who are doing the the heavy lifting on stage and they play multiple characters. So they each play Dr. Andesha Holland. They each play, um, like six other characters, they just transform, they sing, they do all the things, all the things.
1: Oh, I love it. Now, is this, your, is this your first introduction to this particular play? It is, it is. And so would you say you would direct it again? Would you direct it I, again somewhere else? And, and if you could direct it anywhere, bring it anywhere, where would you take it?
5: Ooh, yes, I would direct this again. I, I say yes. I ultimately just kind of sit and listen to what spirit and ancestors tell me I should or shouldn't be doing. Most of the time I'm obedient. <laughs> um, so if they <laughs> led me back to it, I would do it. I would love to do this show in the South. I would love to do this show in Jackson, Mississippi. I would love to do it in Greenwood, Mississippi. I'd love to do it in Mobile, Alabama or Birmingham, Alabama. I would love more than that to do it possibly even with, um, I, of course I do regional theater. I think there's something magical about it, living in a very intimate space, like a community theater, because this our story. And it's our story in a way that I want, I want everybody, I want people who know these people to see themselves when they see it.
1: Mm, I love that. I love that. So, so what do you see, um, uh, Goldie, on the artistic landscape for for women of color like yourself, playwrights and directors and people who um, are doing this work.
5: I um I woke up this morning and saw this uh, video of one of my favorite writers and people uh, for what I know of her, Audre Lorde.
0: She oh yes, about, yes, yes, yeah. Yes.
5: Woo. Uh, she was she was talking about what does it feel to. What does it mean to live in an identity that is on the outside? On the outside of the mainstream or on the outside of what is centered as norm? Um, and uh, she was just talking about how there's a natural um, cultivated survival as a result of that. You learn how to survive. And, um, and I think what I would want to see on the landscape on on the horizon for uh, Black women, for Latina women, for women of the first nations, indigenous women, for Asian women, for women of multi ethnicities at one time, um, I'd love for us to see to make our own. I think that's what it requires. I think we cannot expect white theater to envision our, uh, freedom, our liberation. It's not, it's not, it's not theirs to do, and I don't think they have the experiences of our survival to do it. So I think while they have access to the resources and the funding, ultimately it's for us to make our bold radical ask and sometimes the ask is to get out of our way. Mm
0: -hmm. Sometimes
5: the ask isn't to let us in. Sometimes the ask is to get off of our land so we can build what we want to build. And that's what I would want to see, us to build and center and put forward our stories, our voices, our talents, and produce our work. So
1: you know, there's so much to be said about uh, trauma, and so many of our stories start from a place of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, do we ever do we ever get to a place where we don't lead from our trauma, or we don't center our trauma? I mean, can we can we separate out? Do we want to separate out from always having a trauma-based story? That's a great question.
5: I feel like I have that conversation so often because so many of the popular plays are rooted in or centered on trauma. And I think what I've learned in this process because um, very, very famously known, Dr. Howland uh, was raped when she was 11 years old. And when she was raped, she was given $5. And that established um, a mentality in her to commodify her sexuality. And so she became a sex worker soon after. And she did that. And that ultimately led her into SNCC. Um, <clears throat> and so there's this, this part of it for me that when I first read it, I was like, oh gosh, I can't do this, like no more trauma. But then I had to, in this process of of really working with the text, had to think of who is it traumatizing for? And I think that becomes the, the responsibility of the director. If I stage this, where I centered the trauma, and spotlighted the trauma and then took the moment for the trauma and we all felt it and i was like oh we are having a human experience because we are sitting deep in the grief and the trauma i am exploiting her trauma Wow! black folk no trauma in america black pe- black folk no joy in america Black folks know uh, music in America. Black folks know God deeper than I think a lot of anybody else in America because we've known trauma. Our trauma has also been the root for us having an unshakable faith that a lot of people don't talk about the connectedness of that. And so it's about. Not putting the emphasis on the trauma, acknowledging that it happened, but putting the emphasis on the genius that grows from being so resilient beyond the trauma. I don't know if any other people in this country, I don't know if white folks, let me be specific. I don't know if white Americans could experience the oppression that they have historically uh put on other communities and survive the way the other communities have. And part of the challenge is white folks in America have not experienced that level of oppression. So it's easy for them to exploit it as a phenom because they've never experienced it. Those of us who have experienced and survived it understand it as part of a greater story. So the obligation becomes to tell the greater story beyond the trauma without ignoring it, but just beyond that. You know, it's not just that genocide happened to first nations in this country. It's that the attempt of genocide happened and they survived and thrived in spite of it.
1: I love that. Absolutely, because oh, oh. you know, I, I, I have this whole, I don't know if I could take another slave porn. I don't know if Listen. I could take another, you know and I know these stories are rich and they, and they, and they need to find a home and a place but
5: man, it has been exhausting. <laughs> it's too exhausting. And don't nobody want that. I will tell you, I, I, am a, I walk with ancestors. They, they roll with me everywhere I go. And I have to explain oftentimes when it comes to the exploitation of slavery in America, that too much of that is built on the assumption that it is a passive experience. Africans were not slaves in America, We were, they were enslaved, which meant they constantly resisted the institution of slavery. So when you put that in front of an audience, you assume that everyone will have a passive experience. No, no, I'm gonna be the one to get mad, to start punching people. I'm a descendant of Nat Turner. Like that's what I'm going through. I'm gonna be Denmark bestie in the space. I'm not, me and Harriet roll tight, I'm pushing stuff. So, So, even that idea of telling a, a story of slavery, you I think there's a responsibility to think about what happens if you tell a story of slavery, but from the side of those that revolted, not from the side of those that had to find a docile way in. What, what if you scare people to how they got free? Like, no, we about to, we coming in the audience right now. We picking up people that look like descendants. <laughs> they gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they don't let me in them plays.
1: Play. <laughs> <laughs> this is this has been one of the best conversations I've had. <laughs> I want to tell people, Goldie Patrick is the director of the play uh, from the Mississippi Delta. It is running at the West uh, Westport Country Playhouse from October 18th through the 30th. And I'm going to tell you, it, it, listen, I'm going to suggest people go see this play even if they think that it's going to be trauma-filled, I think you should go just on the strength of this conversation with the director because she is good people and I could feel oh. it in my bones. So y'all go Thank and you. see this, this play. I'm, I'm going to make it my business to, to come and see this play. Cause I was on the fence about
5: it, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure. I don't do trauma. Mm -mm. We don't, (laughs) this is not the story of, this is the story of how a woman from Greenwood, Mississippi, who was not expected to learn how to read because she was supposed to be a sharecropper's daughter. Right. This is how she decided that she would take her own future into her hands. She self-educated herself, joined one of the most radical black power movement in American history with SNCC. She advocated across this country for black people's rights in this country, went on to educate herself further and get a master's and a doctorate. And she got a doctorate in her mother's name so that the women before her could hold her prestige with her. This is what this story is about. And we got a black night for the first time ever at Westport. Black night is on the 19th. It's called black excellence night. It's pay what you can. We have a whole deal about it. And we will be celebrating the beauty of Blackness. And we are asking people who come to the show to put their money where their mouths are and to donate to the Mississippi water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi, oh my is gosh. part of this legacy. So we're not going to talk about what we have up here and leave our brothers and sisters behind in Jackson, Mississippi, who need clean water. So we're tying it all together. Please come out, y'all. This is a story for us.
1: Oh, my God. It has been my perfect honor to, to talk with you, Miss Goldie E. Patrick. I've enjoyed this conversation. This has been an amazing Black experience and I'm glad to have had it with you. And uh, when I come to the theater, I'm, uh, I'm gonna see if I can sneak back and meet you because i yes, got to let shake me know your come. You we got
5: you we got you and you are absolutely every piece of fabulous that your name does say thank you for making it.
1: turn well thank you girl thank you so listen i know you got to get back because you in rehearsals and you're getting it all pulled together thank you for your time and your energy and your commitment to our people for our people to our people i am forever grateful thank you
5: okay i am as well for you thank you
1: thank you thank you all right harry Drows. this was a rich conversation play me out y'all have a good weekend i will see y'all uh mm-hmm. catch me at the the library at two thirty having the huey newton conversation and uh i will see y'all over the weekend mm-hmm.